0: Morning, church family. Uh, Let's see. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have been in Dallas or this area uh, all or most of your life? Let me see. Yep, many, many. Cool. Uh, And I was, uh, and you know, in a way, I was not. I mean, in many ways, I I am not from here. But I'm going to see where I'm going with this eventually. I was born in Pennsylvania. Uh, but I haven't, I've been, but I've been, uh, haven't been there in years and years since I was very little. Uh, how many of you would say, whether or not you've been here a long time, how many of you would say that Dallas is home? Yeah, and, and, and in many ways I would include myself in that, and in some ways I would not. I would say this is not my home, and you might think, well, yeah, Derek, we know you just moved here about 14 months ago, you know, so we get it, you're the new guy, and yes, that's true. I could say this is not my home because I've only been here for 14 months. We moved here from <coughs> California, <laughs> excuse me, and um, but many ways this very much is our home. We're, we're thankful for you and feeling loved and welcomed and increasingly uh, finding ourselves at home and, and involved in the circles of life here. And so, so actually this morning when I say uh, this is not our home, I'm, I'm not talking about physically living in Dallas. I'm saying that it's still even if this is my home, even if this is your home, I can still say that I'm a foreigner here. What am I talking about? And in fact, all of you, each of you that are followers of Jesus, could say the same. You, even you lifelong Dallasonians, can say if you're a follower of Jesus, you say this is not my home. Uh, Let's look on the screen. A little bit later, a few weeks from now in our study of the book of Philippians, we're going to come to this verse that's on the screen. It says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, look at this last part, with their minds set on earthly things. But the very next verse is this, but our citizenship, you and me, followers of Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This, our earthly home, is not our true home. We are just passing through on our way to eternal life with our great God in our true home with Him. Right? So knowing that about us as followers of Jesus, that this is not our true home, knowing that, does that mean we should have nothing to do with this world? Does that mean that our time here on earth is not important? That's what we want to think a little bit more about this morning. So grab your Bibles. If you didn't already, open to Philippians. We're going to be in uh, chapter 1, starting at verse 27. So if you had a Bible, whether it's on your device or in your lap, open to Philippians chapter 1. And uh, in just a moment, we're going to start at verse 27. And as you turn there, let me pray. Father God, as always, when we come to your word, we want to submit ourselves to you. Help us to keep our fingers in the text and our minds on your word. As we hear from you this morning from your word, the Bible, God, we pray that our hearts and minds would be open to what you have to say to us this morning. So we come to you, we submit ourselves to you, we ask you to help us listen to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, and and this is how it begins. Only, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, So right away we should get an answer to one of those questions I posed. It is important, our time here on earth, our journey through this temporary home is important. The Bible has lots to say about how we use our time on this journey through our earthly lives. While it is not our true home, we're here in this time and place according to God's purposes. Now this verse, uh, this very first verse here, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Uh, It could, if we looked, if we studied the original language, we could also translate it or render that sentence this way. It's on the screen. There's a sense in the original language that gives us this added, this highlighted part on the screen, this this idea of citizenship that we just heard from later in this same letter. Chapter three, we're going to come across that verse we looked at later in this letter that we are This is not our home, that we are citizens of heaven. And in this verse, 27, if we look at the original language, there's that sense in there as well. Only let your manner of life, your way of living as citizens be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Uh, Philippi, Paul is writing this letter to the Christians in a town called Philippi, and Philippi uh, prided itself on being a Roman colony. And so in Philippi, it was highly esteemed, it was highly valued, honored, this opportunity that you had living in Philippi to be a citizen of Rome. And Paul knows this, and so he's writing, and he's kind of tweaking their emphasis. He's kind of making sure that that while it's great, they can be a citizen of their town, country, whatever, just like it's great for you to be a, a good, and you should be a good citizen of the country God's put you in? Paul's tweaking that a bit here, reminding them that their identity as God's people makes their primary citizenship of of more importance. Does that make sense? Their primary citizenship, their citizenship in heaven as primary, as more important. That, and he's saying then, let your manner of life, let the, your way of living be consistent with God's word, with the way God's people should live. So let's continue then. Got your finger there in the Bible still, hopefully? Following along. Verse 27 again, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or whether I'm absent I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything. By your opponents. Now, if I stop reading here, if I, if I stop reading here, if we stopped re-studying this passage here, I think there's a danger of seeing this as a religious checklist, as a list of ways to please God. And I often remind you and I often encourage you, because this is so critical to our faith in Christ, is, is we will see. Commands and exhortations and encouragements and reminders as we read our Bible, but be careful not to make them a list of to do as if we have to earn God's love or earn our salvation. If we stopped reading right here in the passage, we could just be burdened by some of these, these phrases live a worthy life. Hey, you, stand firm. All of you together, strive together. And it, so, if we're not, these are, these are good things. And we are to do them, and we're going to look at that. But just, just be careful not to let it be a list in your mind, a to-do list to please God. We need to talk about those uh, exhortations, but first, let's continue reading in our passage, picking up where I left off in the middle of verse 28. This is a clear sign. What's it talking about? Well, what's, what was previous? If we stand firm, if we strive together, and if we're not frightened by our opponents— That's a clear sign to them, to our opponents, to those that are apart from Christ, of their destruction, of their impending eternal doom. These are the things that set us apart, those in Christ, from those who are far from Christ. So this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, their doom. But it's also a sign of your salvation and what? That salvation is from God. For it has been granted to you. With me in verse 29 there? For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but there's more that we'll get to in a moment. That verb there, granted, could be, could be we could say, graced. It has been granted to you. It has been graced to you that for the sake of Jesus Christ, You should believe in Him. In other words, this is is one of of a few grace gifts that we're going to talk about this morning. It is a gift of God's grace that we believe, that we've been rescued from sin and death, that we've been saved and brought from sin and death into life with Him, is a gift from God, a gift of grace. And this is a a magnificent gift blessing. This grace grace gift from God that, that we would believe and that we would receive salvation is an incredible, magnificent blessing. If anyone comes to follow Jesus, if anyone is in Christ, it has been given to him a grace gift from our great God. Where do we see that? Where do we see that? Throughout the Bible, look on the screen with me. Ephesians 2.1 tells us that we, you, and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. Romans 3 tells us that no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. This morning when I opened my Bible to have my time with the Lord and to hear from him in the scriptures, I, 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 my Bible reading plan had me in 1 Corinthians 6. And in 1 Corinthians 6, there's a list of sinners and kinds of sin. It's the kind of stuff that sounds awful and that we mostly want to go, oh, yeah, they do that. You know one of those New Testament lists of sinners I'm talking about? Pretty explicit. Liars, revilers, idolaters, homosexuals. It lists all these sins and sinners. And then it says in 1 Corinthians 6, and such were some of you. So before we too quickly go, that's them. We were dead in our sins. No one seeks after God. And then it continues in 1 Corinthians 6, that you were washed, sanctified, justified through Jesus. And then you'll see on the screen, we, we, we studied this a few weeks ago, Hebrews 12, 2 refers to Jesus as the founder, the author, the giver of the gift of belief. And then in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you have been saved. It is a gift of God's grace, not something we earn, not something we had to match up to, not something we had to strive for, Ephesians 2 is clear there on your screen For it is by grace you have been saved Through faith in Jesus And this is not your own doing It's a gift of God Not a result of works Of trying hard, of doing stuff So that none of us can boast So what is the gospel? As we often remind ourselves around here The gospel is this That we have a great and loving God Who did not leave us stuck in sin but sent his son, but we have a loving God who doesn't leave us stuck, but who pursued us, who came after us to rescue us by sending his son so that sinful people like you and me could be made right, could be forgiven by, could be reconciled to a great and loving God through faith in Jesus Christ, not through our efforts, not through trying, by surrendering our lives, by giving ourselves, by knowing we can't do it on our own and entrusting ourselves to following Jesus. That's good news, Faith Church. We have been forgiven much. We have been forgiven much. We have been taken from a a place headed for doom and brought into life, rich and abundant and meaningful now and life eternal with our great God forever. Good news? So now, with that in mind, with that as the first importance, with that as a foundation then, it's easier to go back and see some of the other stuff in this passage. That good news that we just talked about does demand a response. It does call for us to live in a certain way. But... But the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, doesn't demand a response that comes from us out of, out of guilt, out of, out of we ought to. We ought to try to earn his love. We've got to try to do something about it. Our salvation is not about what we do. It is about what Jesus has already done. And so, yes, the gospel demands a response. Yes, obedience is part of following Jesus. But it comes from us as a thankful response for that good news. It comes as the natural outpouring of someone who has been graced with the most amazing grace gift possible. It comes as the natural response overflowing of the love I have received. We give back to our loving father in in living worthy lives, in, in asking for his help, in living for him. So now when we hear verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, we we need to be reminded and encouraged. Yes, the gospel demands a response. Yes, obedience is part of the Christian life. Yes, you and I need to live worthy lives. But we do it because it's the natural response to the grace gift. And we have God's help to live worthy lives. I caught a lyric in the first song we sang this morning that I had forgotten about. In the first song we sang this morning, we said, I think something like this, the strength to obey your commands could never come from me. Amen. The strength to follow God's commands could never come from me, friends. But... God has offered this grace gift of our belief, this grace gift of our salvation, and he's also given us the grace gift of God himself, the Holy Spirit, living within us, empowering us to live worthy lives. So yes, the gospel, the good news demands a response. Yes, obedience is part of that. But God is with you if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've entrusted yourself to him, then God himself, the Holy Spirit, lives within you, empowering you to live worthy lives. So now when we see these commands in scripture, they're not burdensome. They they need not weigh us down because we can't possibly match up. They don't weigh us down because it's not a checklist to earn God's love or to earn our salvation. Now, these, these commands in Scripture are an opportunity to show our love for our great God. So now when it says to stand firm, it's a reminder to you and I that we must not be moved from our allegiance to the gospel. That we keep the gospel of Jesus, the good news of what he's done central in our lives. When our passage urges us to strive together, it's a reminder that we are to maintain unity and, not, and, 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 and our unity together must be in the truth of the gospel. Now, whenever, when, when the Bible reminds us of the importance of unity among believers... Because repeatedly we get this reminder in scripture that as followers of Jesus, as brothers and sisters in him, we are to have unity, to strive together, to, to cling to the truths of the gospel. Guess why those reminders are needed? Because disunity comes far too easily. Because it's far too easy, even in a group of brothers and sisters in Christ, even those who have been saved by that great good news that we have celebrated this morning, disunity comes far too easily. We must not look for these little unimportant areas to divide over. Let's look to the most important things, the truths of the gospel, and stay united on them for the sake of Jesus. So, we are to live worthy lives. We're to stand firm. We're to strive together. And we can do that because of what God has done. We can respond. Because he has first loved us, we can love him through our love for others and our obedience of him. So, I, I desire to live Worthy. That would be my desire. How about you? I think we desire to live worthy. uh, But I need to be honest. Sometimes it's hard to just survive this earthly life. Much less thrive. Much less live a gospel-worthy life. And I know I'm not alone in that because life is hard. And you know, you know, those of you who've been around me, know me to be a person who's willing to share the difficulties of my life and the sins of my past and the struggle, current struggles. And, uh, and I, I hesitate sometimes because it's not a, this is not about me when we gather together and it is not about me getting attention for myself or a pity party, but I do sometimes share with you from my heart about what life looks like for me or my family because I know that I'm not alone and because so many of you, by God's grace, have been, have been encouraged by knowing That you're not alone in the struggle of following Jesus that I too am on the journey with you so team Olson would appreciate be blessed for be blessed by and be really thankful for your prayers for us in this season we are in a very uh, difficult season at home Uh, in our family it's as it's as hard as Amy and I can remember ever. Our marriage is fine. Parenting is hard. We have children that have been through a lot. It's nobody's fault. We have great kids. But they've been through a lot and our family's been through a lot. And I'm going to be vague for two reasons. I'm going to be a little vague about that for two reasons. One, because really it's not my story to tell, and the one in our family that hurts the most, it's not my story to tell. And as such a public person, (laughs) it's hard to be both open and honest and need privacy (laughs) for the one that hurts the most. But I'm also being vague because I know that in some ways, you'll relate even more because as I look around the room, there are conversations I've had just this week about the difficulties and the struggles and the pain and and a conversation this morning about the pain and the trials and the hardships that you endure. And they're different than mine, but they're painful and they're hard you too you too get angry about pain in you or in your loved ones you too collapse in tears you too and me like the prophet Isaiah, like the prophet Habakkuk ask God the question how long lord So let's look at God's word, verse 29. For it has been granted to you, graced to you, that for the sake of Jesus, you should not only believe in him. Do you want to read this part? You have been graced. You have been granted belief. For the sake of Jesus, your salvation, a grace gift to you, but also to suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, Paul writes, and now hear that I still have. Now, one point of clarity, I think, when when we talk about suffering for the sake of Jesus is Sometimes our suffering and pain and trial and hardship is the result of our sin, not for having suffered for Jesus' sake. Sometimes we encounter difficulty and pain and trial because our bad choices have consequences. Even our forgiven bad choices, right? Even in Christ as we're forgiven, those, those still have earthly consequences that play out, and sometimes that's what we see in our suffering but the passage we're looking at says suffer for his sake for the name of Jesus our and here's the deal our gospel worthy lives if you are in Christ and he is making you new and he is transforming you from the inside out and he is giving you new heart new mind new attitude to live for him gospel worthy lives bring about spiritual conflict Gospel-worthy lives run across the battle between good and evil and encounter spiritual conflict. Living for Jesus includes suffering and persecution. When God is at work in you and when God is at work in me, the evil one, Satan, hates it. He doesn't want to see us grow in Christ. He doesn't want to see Faith Church healthy and growing and making a difference for Jesus in Dallas and beyond. So we encounter spiritual conflict. Um, Sometimes things don't look the same the way you expect, right? Sometimes you come in a place and things don't look quite like you expect. You walked into the lobby this morning and whoosh, Anybody notice the food was on the opposite side of the room? It wasn't exactly what you were looking for, right? It wasn't exactly what you expect. Some of you walked in here this morning and made comments about my outfit. Because I have a different look sometimes. I mix it up. (laughs) But some of you like this one better. (laughs) Let's just be honest. Uh, So sometimes it's not always what we expect. And I think reading verse 29 is not what we expected. You have been graced. You have received a graced gift from God. And we're like, yeah, sweet. Our belief, our salvation, right on. But what about you have received a gift of grace that is also suffering for the sake of Jesus That's why a few minutes ago we could sing and hopefully mean when we sang blessed be the name of the Lord on the road marked with suffering. That's one of those songs that's a little peppy and upbeat but are you paying attention to the lyrics? And do we, do we, are we able to sing them because we know them to be true because on the road marked with suffering Jesus, the name above every name, is worthy of our worship. Because when you encounter difficulty, when you come across suffering and trial and hardship, you need to know things have not spun out of God's control. It's not like He's, you know, keeping the world spinning and then, oops! Things have not spun out of God's control. And I love, I love that I heard somewhere that everything that happens comes across God's desk. Isn't that, that should be a helpful picture. Everything that happens has come across God's desk because our great and powerful and sovereign God either caused or allowed it to happen. It came across his desk. And that tells us that even in pain, even in trials and hardships, that God is at work in our lives for our good and his glory. I have a, one of my seminary professors wrote a book called Thinking Right When Things Go Wrong. I'd highly recommend it if this is a topic of interest to you of why. Uh, we experience pain and suffering in life, and, and this professor, I, I, this, this stood out to me and still stands out to me, is one of the main points he made to us in class was that you and I, as followers of Jesus, need to have a theology of trials, meaning an understanding of God and who God is that includes, an understanding of God that includes trial, hardship, suffering. We need to have a a theology of trials. Why? Think about how practical this would be in your life and in the life of your loved ones who are far from Jesus. If we had a, a, a theology of trials of understanding that our God is great and awesome and at work for my good and his glory, even in the pain, if we had an understanding of that or if we could help people around us understand that, then when the difficulties of life come and they do come, don't they? then when they come and we have a proper theology of trials, then we run to our great God, not away. Because you and I both have friends that are far from Jesus who when bad things happen, they blame God and run away. But God is in it. He's in it. He has his purposes. He's at work, believe it or not, church family. He's at work for your good and his glory. Through it all. So how did the early followers of Jesus respond to suffering? Look on the screen with me from Acts chapter 5. This is right after the disciples, uh, some of the early followers of Jesus, have been beaten and told, hey, shut up, don't talk about Jesus. And this is what it says right after that. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer. Dishonor. For the name of Jesus. I want to be like that. And then Paul, who's writing this letter in, to the Philippians, in a couple of chapters, he's going to write this on your screen. Paul writes, That I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul knows there's something to be had in sharing with the sufferings of Christ, because God works for for our good and his glory, even in the sufferings. Um, do, you have, um, do you have times? I know you do, because some of you tell me about them. Don't you have times as a follower of Jesus when, when, when the Spirit just weaves a bunch of stuff together during your day or during your week? Do you know what I mean? Like on a certain topic, you know, you're learning a certain topic, and you studied it in the Bible, and then, and then you have a conversation with somebody, and then and then you hear an article on, on, or, you know, in the, in the newspaper. Or you, you know what I'm talking about? It's not a coincidence. God works all this stuff. He's teaching us. He's showing us. He's weaving things together. And so here's a song. There's a song called Blessings by Laura Story. It's been around for a while. I've known this song. But when does the Holy Spirit weave it into my life? But this week when I'm preparing to teach this topic and I'm struggling with painful, difficult stuff myself. And so then you get to hear songs in a different way. And let me just recap a little bit of it for you, and then I'm gonna play just a minute or two of it. Verse one of this uh, song is the things that we would tend to pray for, the things that we would prefer to pray for, right? The first verse is things that we pray for, like we pray for blessings, peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep, healing. We pray for that our suffering would be eased. And then the lyrics say this, all the while, God, you hear each spoken need, yet you love us too much to give us lesser things. In other words, there's a question for us. Perhaps, is, is, are there more important things that God wants for us than to answer those prayers we'd prefer to pray? And then verse 2, she, she sings this prayer as, as, as we would pray when we suffer. We cry out in anger. We cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness. We doubt your love as if every promise from your word is not enough. And then here's the song continuing, reminding us that God hears our prayers and he's at work. So let's listen for a minute or two. If the trials of this life are his mercies or his grace gifts in disguise. Um, And this is not, this is song lyrics, but this is not just song lyrics. If we look to God's word on the screen in Romans 5, we were reminded that we can rejoice in suffering. Knowing that God is at work. That God uses Suffering to produce endurance and endurance producing character and character producing hope. And hope does not disappoint, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. God is at work in the pain and the suffering and the trial. He is at work for your good and his glory. Probably my favorite line there that you saw on the screen was, what if my greatest disappointments are the achings of this life? And I, I know as I look around that you've experienced disappointments, perhaps today, perhaps this week, that you have achings in your life and things that happen. Even if you're in a good season, you have had these times. What if my greatest disappointments or the achings of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy. Wouldn't that be a great result of of God's grace gift to you, his grace gift of your suffering? Wouldn't a great result of that grace gift be if we came to, to more fully recognize that we have need that this world can't satisfy? Father God, we, uh, we pray this morning that trials would bring us to your feet. We pray that as we uh, are in the midst of enduring suffering perhaps or as we, the next time we come into difficulty, God, we pray that, our, that these trials would, would drive us to your feet, to recognition of our need, to humility before you, to seeking what we need from our loving Heavenly Father. So, Father, we thank you this morning that you have come near to us through Jesus, that you are not a God who stays far apart from us, but who has come near in Jesus. We thank you for sending your Son. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that at the cross, because of Jesus' obedience to you, we can become children of God, citizens of heaven. we, we, we just saying, God, that, that pain, may pain remind us that this is not our true home. God, as we endure difficulties in our lives, may that cause us to long for you, to recognize that our true home is future with you. And God, as we studied through the book of Philippians and we looked last week at that that key verse, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father, we trust you, we ask you, would you make it true in our hearts and minds that, that, that to die would be gain? Why, God, would you give us the hope that comes in looking forward to going to our true home? But Father, in the meantime, while we're here, While you have us on this earthly journey, God, would you help us to see what you're doing, to trust you through it all, to recognize that our time here is important, that you are helping us to live lives worthy of the gospel, and as we do that, that you are shaping and molding us, God, even through suffering. Father God, may our time that you've given us on this earth be spent for your glory. And Father, as our ushers come now to receive our offering, Father, we pray that you would help us to give generously from a willing and cheerful heart, thankful for all you have done, not out of compulsion or guilt or out of religious earning your love, but God, would our lifting our voices, with our prayers, would our giving our financial gifts all be indicators of, of joyful thankfulness for the good news of the gospel, for what Jesus has done. And God, while we know, while we want to know, while we want to live, like to die would be gain even more right now, we pray that you would help us to live, to really live for Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.